It's time to explore the unexplained, to delve into the mysteries of our world and the realms beyond, to seek out the answers to phenomena that defy conventional explanation. Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with Karen Frazier and Chucky G, where that journey begins. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with your hosts, Karen Frazier and me, the lovely Chucky G. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> yeah, I am lovely. You Look are lovely. I oh know. I just laughed at me. No, no, no. It's because I would never introduce myself as the lovely Karen Frazier. Well, yeah, but you're not me. <laughs> yeah, good point. I'm slightly kooky, so I'll do whatever. So, All right. Uh, so, uh, hey, we have a good guest tonight. Let's get to. Let's just talk about the guest right away, and then we can okay. just banter. Him. Um, okay. Bruce. His name is Bruce Orr. He's yeah. a paranormal investigator, a retired yep. criminal investigator. This is why I, I know. Cool. And author of Ghosts of the USS Yorktown, amongst other titles and stuff. And he's also the founder of Lost in Legends. So this is going to be interesting to, because uh, I always want to talk to a police officer. I don't want to say cop because that sounds bad, but a police officer, you know, that the because, it's, well, it's interesting because to me, a lot of that uh, would be like they're police officers. So how could they believe in the paranormal? I mean, how could they, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know, you know what I'm saying? If I look at it logically, you know, they're yeah. cops, you know, they're going to always look for the, obvi- you know, the, or whatever, the yeah. grounded version of what's going on versus something like that. So I'm, I'm totally in for this. I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm You're ready. on board. I'm bored. I'm bored, sister. Groovy. So, um, gr- groovy. Ooh. Groovy. Like, that's right. Groovy. 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 Okay. So, um, <laughs> so, uh, Karen, what you been what? up to? What you been up to, sister? What have I been up to? Well, I was not I was not here last week. I don't know if anyone noticed my absence, but I was absent. <laughs> yes, I noticed your absence. Mm-hmm. We were doing a little uh a little stuff at the museum. Uh Tom Tom, one of our permanent residents there, had asked for some help moving on. And so we, we did that last week, and that's where I was, and it was great. And um then let's see what else have I been up to. Went and drove yesterday and picked my son up at college that was really exciting he's home for spring it's spring break spring break spring break where he doesn't go down to like florida and go woohoo with all the crazy people yeah where's he gonna get the money for that (laughs) i don't know (laughs) he doesn't have a job and mommy and daddy pay for everything so you know Uh, the only way he's going to spring break in fort lauderdale is if mom and dad give him the money and that didn't happen So wait, now the thing with Tom, was Patty, uh-huh. did you say Patty was sick when? Patty had a migraine, so she couldn't come. So it was me and William Becker. And they didn't video it. I know. I, I know. And, and Jay Verberg and Andy Skinner and Melissa Edwards and um, Melinda Gapin, who is uh, our our Lutheran pastor on our team. Okay. Um, so it, it was very, I, I read, you know, what you said about it, it was very moving and mm-hmm. uh, he kind of moved on and mm-hmm. now, now here's my question to that. Okay. okay. So, so he moved on. Mm-hmm. Could he ever come back if he wants to or? Uh-huh. Know, sure he can. Yeah. Okay. Sure he can. I mean, I knew that, but I mean, I just wanted yeah. to get out there, you know, so. Yeah, sure he can. Um, I, you know, I tend to think that when you first, when they first move on, that they're a little busy uh-huh. for a while. Uh-huh. What are you laughing at? I have you're a booger so in my nose tonight. or something. No, you're so cute tonight. I don't know what it is. But anyway, so, right, go ahead. 
Well, no, I but, don't know what know, it is either. I don't know either, but it's just it's Cheryl's it must cute. Be those, those, cute those pheromones that we sprayed ourselves down with before it, the it show or something. Yeah, it's, probably. It's affecting me. It's affecting. Yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Across a computer screen. <sighs> um. So, anyway, so yeah, he moved on, and um, you know, it's it feels weird in there without him because we're used to how he feels. Um, and how the, it. How the other. Spirit. Oh well, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so as we, we after he we, he moved on and we went and we had dinner and we came back and we were locking up the museum and everything and Andy and Melissa and I were walking from the back of the museum out to go out the front door and um it stirred something up in the Native American room. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know what, but there's a little something something going on in there right now. And and that's okay. We kind of figured because he was such a strong presence. Wait a minute. What do you mean a little something something? What could happen in the Native American room? Not like that. Jesus. Okay. I'm just trying to follow the story. There's a little something spooky going on in there right oh, now. Oh, okay. Cool. Yes. Yeah, um and so we think it's because he was such a strong presence. Mm-hmm. That that maybe it sort of overrode a lot of others, and now that that presence has evened out and moved on, now the other energy is sort of moving to to the fore. So it's changed the dichotomy of all the other spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I I think so. I think so. And, and you know, time will tell because I was there Friday because I volunteer on Fridays there, and I was there Friday for about four hours, and I, I went past the Native American room and it just really reached out and grabbed me as I walked past and I went and grabbed Andy out of his office and I said come in here and it was really funny we stood in the doorway and we would like sidestep out the doorway and it would feel fine and you would sidestep in the other, in the doorway and it would be like wolf <laughs> so Whoa. yeah yeah so so now when you go back now it'll be interesting because now you'll be able to well you'll get different maybe responses responses and yeah, things that it'll are be happening interesting. it'll be interesting yeah. to see what what sort of takes place there um from here on out and so um yeah i'm you know i go back tomorrow i volunteer tomorrow and i'll sort of try and see what's going on there then and then this weekend uh, patty and i are actually speaking at the library and we're talking about the museum oh are you yes you're just a busy gal I'm i am in demand i tell you <laughs> Yes, you are. You're very much in demand. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I can't top any of that. I mean, I'm just I'm doing an investigation on Monday. We're going to Arcata Theater, which is located in St. Charles, Illinois, which is built in 1926. Um, it uh, used to be a vaudevillian theater. Uh, it also housed evidently a brothel down below. And they there oh, are. They a, yeah. I know. And there's like things said that El Capone might have gone there and stuff. So uh, it's going to be interesting. Uh, my, my team dichotomy kind of went up and down a few times. If you've been watching Facebook. Yeah, I've been watching like, Facebook. Yeah. Oh, my Lord. You know, OK. Anybody that uh, isn't the lead to a, a team, like when you do investigations, I mean, not, we're not talking about any of the paranormal stuff, just being in charge of people. It's a crazy, crazy thing. It's a very crazy, crazy thing because you're trying to work everybody's schedules. You're trying to do all the stuff. And then, you know, like, you know, how many days before I get this text going, well, I really can't go because this is going on. And then I'm like, what? What? I'm like, can we reschedule? No, we can't reschedule. It took me like months to set this up. I had to sign contracts. I do all this stuff just to get in there because they're letting us loose. You know, there's no cost or anything. You're just letting us go in there and do our thing. And then, of course, then later on at night, now all of a sudden, oh, I can't come after I just 
went ahead and got some, you know, got somebody else involved. And so, yeah, I mean, it all worked out in the end because now I have a, <laughs> I have a full team like I kind of wanted, but not, not the exact way I wanted to get it. You know what I mean? So, well, you know, but it may not be the exact way you wanted it, but it's the exact way it needs to be. Yes, that is true. So I'm looking forward to it. It's going to be pretty exciting. I have all my equipment is all over in there, and my wife's going to make us food for before we go. And so, yeah, it's going to that be fun. That is I'm exciting. Looking to it. Good. That sounds like a lot of fun. Well, so, thank you. Yes. So, Chuck. Yes. Do we have any news? <sighs> yeah, I suppose we do. All right, Joe. Hit it. When the world gets weird and things don't make any sense, it's news of the strange and the odd. Okay, so this story, well, I just, it's funny too, because I just saw it on Facebook too. It's, it's pretty much all over. It's a, uh, boy recalls past life as a 1930s actor. And I thought this was really interesting. So, uh, my young boy astonished his parents when he re- recalled vivid details of who he was in a previous life. Uh, Ryan's recollections began when he was around five years old and centered around his memories of being an actor who lived and worked on various movies in Hollywood. He told his parents how he had danced on Broadway during his career and even met legends such as Rita Hayworth. He would often talk about going home to Hollywood and described how he lived on a street with the word rock in its name. Um, his stories were so detailed and they were so extensive that it just wasn't like a child could have made it up, said his mother, who spent a lot of time researching her son's recollections at the local library in an effort to try and make sense of it all. When she came across a book showing a still, photog- a still photograph from the 1933 movie Night After Night, however, Ryan incredibly pointed to one of the extras in the shot and declared that was him. The case was later, late, I'm sorry, later investigated by psychiatrist Professor Dr. Jim Tucker, who, having documented dozens of similar cases, spent time researching each of Ryan's claims. When he discovered what was the name of the man in the picture, Marty, I think it's Marty Materin, had actually done all those things that Ryan had claimed to be recalling from his previous life. Several of the details provided by the five-year-old which were particularly difficult to collaborate and couldn't be researched online, also turned out to be completely accurate. Uh, Martin, who died back in 1964, even lived at 825 North Roxbury Drive in Beverly Hills, a match to Ryan's description of living at a place with the word rock in his name. If you look at the picture of the guy with no lines in the movie and then tell all about his life, I don't think many of us would have come up with Marty's life. Uh, Yet Ryan provided many details that really did fit with his life. I thought that was really, I mean, because we talk about this all the time, you know, and we know about you, Karen, and um, people that have had past lives. Um, so I thought that was really interesting that, uh, once again, you know, I mean, it's like how to, you know, like when I read people that read these things and say, oh, that's just, you know, it's just he's making this stuff up or he's, you know, it's like how, how, how there's no way to do that. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, there would be more work involved doing that than just it being yeah. what it is, you know? Well, I think that the, the kid cases especially are, are pretty compelling, and that was the work that Dr. Ian Stevenson did and that others have, have carried on. And I do think, and it's it's less unusual than it used to be, but a majority of um, Dr. Stevenson's work actually didn't focus here in the West. It was mm-hmm. in India and places like that. And um, now we're seeing that it's a Western sensation as well. And what I think is really interesting about it is because you understand why there might be that in, in Hindu, in Hindu places where, you know, where people practice Hinduism or Mm -hmm. 
other things. Um, but in Christianity, there's less of a basis for it. Yet now we're having these young kids um, come up with these these memories. And if you read any of Carol Bowman's work, uh, Cheryl actually interviewed Carol Bowman many years ago, and mm-hmm. she does a lot of work on children's past lives. And um, some of the cases are just really, really fascinating. And these are little kids. Yeah, that, I mean, like- you know, they're without artifice. They're, they tend to be fairly guileless. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, and, and so much of it, when you go back and then research it, meshes. And so even though I have this case that's my own where I look at it and I go, okay, yeah, this was probably me in a past life, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, but then I look at it with a little kid and I think, okay, well, of course this is. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's not enough. He hasn't even lived long enough to to, to bring all this other stuff into into yep. play. So yeah, that's why yep. I find it interesting. All right, yeah. so the next one, the next one I have is we've uh, well, you got Cheryl at least I know has been to Waverly Hills, right? So they they're talking about it turning it into a ho- a haunted hotel. Okay, so here's and I've been reading this story for a while, and I don't know. To me, it's just it's it's a I mean, I understand they got to make money and, and do whatever they got, and I res- have respect for that, but it just kind of seems like, you know, all these places that are paranormally active or places that we can try to study to understand things are just being revamped into these things, and it's just, I don't know. Because they said the infamous sanatorium is to become a four-star hotel where people can stay and look for ghosts. Originally opened in 1910, it's a small two-story building for housing tuberculosis patients. Waverly Hills has expanded significantly after an epidemic ravaged the population. Uh, uh, in, in between 24 and 1961, more than 6,000 people lost their lives. Uh, in 62, the building was turned into a nursing home for the elderly, but ended up being closed after two decades following reports of patient neglect. In 83, there were plans to turn the sanatorium to a prison. However, the idea fell through due to complaints from the neighboring properties. Since falling into disrepair, however, the Erie building has proven to be a popular destination for paranormal groups and investigators with reality TV shows such as Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures. Its newly found popularity has even prompted plans to turn the building into a grand four-star hotel, complete with a restaurant, conference center, and museum. The sanatorium's paranormal reputation will not be forgotten as it will be marketed as a haunted hotel where guests will have the opportunity to encounter something otherworldly. So... All right, so I know my stance on things like this. I, I understand it's twofold. You know, once you gotta, you have to pay for the billing to keep it going. Yeah. Uh, at the same time, I always have, I, you know, it's like these, these places are, there's not, you know, I mean, I understand lots of places can be haunted or have entities almost everywhere can, but yeah. places that really stand out where there's a lot of activity and you can actually try to go there and try to understand and gain some knowledge of what's going on. And then they just revamp them. Let's just make it to a hotel. I mean, what's your thought on that? I mean, what, how do you feel? Well, so there is a group that does that out here. Um, McMenamin Brothers, they actually have taken a lot of historic properties in Oregon and Washington State, and they have turned them into, they've, they've basically, um, I don't want to say revamped because not, they've, they've preserved these properties and turned them into restaurants and lodging and, and things like that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think without the preservation that they've done that some of those buildings may have actually gone further into decay. Okay. So so if it's preserving history, I'm all for it. With gotcha. that being said, I think you know I have a problem with um paranormal as entertainment as ghosts. I mean yes. ghosts as as 
uh, tourism and entertainment and that type mm-hmm. of thing. Because yes. um, because unless the spirits have you know are have signed up for that and that's what they want to do, it yeah. would just be like you forcing me. I mean, and I, I know this sounds silly since I'm on the radio talking about the paranormal, which is clearly paranormal entertainment. <laughs> but but if uh, if you forced me to be entertainment somehow for somebody and all these people and people profited off of me being entertaining mm-hmm. to them, then mm-hmm. that's not okay. And so, so I have, I have a problem in general as haunted places as entertainment where people go to assuage their curiosity. But I've been one of those people who's gone to those places to, mm-hmm. to, uh, you know, because of curiosity too, and so my philosophy has evolved. So, well, yeah, it's like to so me. So I'm too, all over the damn map. Yeah, no, I understand, and I I'm kind of the same way. But at the same time, you know, like when you're saying, you know, well, they they haven't signed up for it and stuff like that. But I think I feel sometimes um, when people are drawn to these places or whatever for whatever reason, at least if they're showing respect for the people that are going there, showing respect. Um, I think sometimes the the spirits kind of enjoy the human contact they you know maybe they maybe they miss it maybe this is a good way for them to have people come to visit them and to to mm-hmm. interact with them you know so i mean it's a kind of a twofold thing you know for me because i, I and i yeah, do understand I well no and i understand the historical thing too because you know yeah we have to save these historical buildings yeah, i mean yeah. my god you know everything i don't want everything to be like a square box it's like so cars I, nowadays you know i mean everything's just the same shape it just drives yeah. me crazy yeah, so I want to tell you why, if we have just a second, why sure. I gave you the answer I did. Because I kind of have sure. a little, I have a bee in my bonnet. Do okay. people still say that? I, well, you just did, so I have it on <laughs> There we go. <laughs> so, so we, I, um, without giving a lot of details, because of course we try to maintain client confidentiality, but, um, we've had, there's a team locally who goes out and does things. Um, paranormal investigations in people's homes, but what they do is they're going out because they want to flash around their equipment and experience ghosts themselves, and they don't give any help to these people, or the type of help they give is things like, well, you've got a demon, dude, or, you know, things like that, and and we've, in a couple of cases, had to go in and clean up after this. Okay. Because they were, because instead of, because what happens is you go in and you stir up the activity. Mm Mm-hmm. When you investigate. So they yeah. go in, they stir up the activity, and they're like, okay, well, burn some sage, see ya. Wow. Yeah, and, yeah, and so we've had to clean that up more than once. And and I just recently, just in the last few days, have, have dealt with a case that we've had to go in behind these, these people again. And mm-hmm. so I got a little bee in my bonnet because I feel like, and I could be wrong, I don't know their motivations, but it feel like, feels like to me they're going in for their own entertainment and their own edification and you know, yeah. Well, there's see that's the difference. That's why, like us as in the dark investigations, we do two. We we go twofold. If you're going into a home, you're there to help the people in the home. You're there to to figure out what's happening. If it is paranormal, you can show them. You can try to educate and and teach them what's going on, how how to deal with it, um, how how in any way we can help to you know to make the situation better, or at least to communicate between the living and the non living, um, mm-hmm. and hopefully walk away with them feeling better, more comfortable yes. in their own home, yeah. and the spirits being happy, and voila, and that's usually how it works. And then when we want to go out, and I don't even call it really entertain myself, though I do have a, I have fun because I'm with people I like, right. but I go to uh, large venues because this way I can gather evidence. I don't have to worry about, 
you know, uh, making sure I'm not, you know, disturbing anything or upsetting people. I can go and do what I need to do for my yeah, own personal yeah. gain, you know, and that kind of yeah. thing, and then walk away. So, I mean, you can split it up that way, and it works much better that way. Well, it's so. and so so it's just to me right now it's frustrating because and and so I was thinking about it and I was thinking you know if that's what you're in it for then you need to do the second thing you were talking about. Yes. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with doing it that way. Mm-hmm. But if you're going into people's houses, oh, don't yeah. leave them worse off than they were before so that <laughs> no. they have to contact somebody else. And so I was on the phone with this woman for an hour trying no. to help her to to understand and and find ways to deal with and all of mm-hmm. that type of thing and it's not the first time with this very same group yeah and i know so, and i and i do i i understand sometimes when you go into the house like i've had somewhere uh, where you go in and you try to help and it works out okay but they're still not like co- completely solved and it may be like an ongoing thing where they will call you or whatever and yeah. you try to help more you know but at least you're trying to you have the right mindset in what you're trying to do yeah, so yes, and agree. and but they didn't even leave follow up seriously. They were like, "Well, we're really hungry. We're going to go get something to eat, burn some sage." <laughs> really? That was pretty much it. Yeah. Shame on them. Yeah. All right, well, the, la- the here's I got the last story. It's really fast. Um, I just found this really creepy, um, and I'm sure you'll all find this creepy because a man finds a python in his box of cornflakes. That is correct, folks. <gasps> Yes, an Australian, Jared Smith, got the shock of his life when he ventured into his kitchen to make some lunch. I don't know if he's having cornflakes for lunch, but okay. The unsuspected 22-year-old discovered that an enormous snake, which later turned out to be a two-meter-long diamond python, had taken up residence inside a cardboard cereal box. Despite the size of the box, the snake had somehow managed to curl up inside and was almost completely out of view. Smith got a shock when he op- when he saw the reptile that he dropped his meal on the floor and ran in terror for the kitchen door. Having alerted his father, who happened to be home at the time, he promptly called up the local wildlife rescue service and asked him to come and remove the snake from the house. The python was over two meters long, and I couldn't believe it was jammed into the cereal box, said animal expert Chris McGill. When I got there, I actually had to tear the box to get it out, and that's how tightly squeezed it was in there. It is likely it was hiding in there to feel secure. Fortunately, diamond pythons are non-venomous, but they still have a nasty bite. How'd you like to do that when you go to have some cornflakes and? Well, I would be more likely to see that in perhaps a can of peanut brittle. <laughs> oh my god, I'd poop. I'm like, oh, I'm, gonna have some, I'm gonna have some cereal, and then all of a sudden there's this big, huge face in it. I'm like, are you kidding me? Given my snake phobia, I think I would do more than poop. I would. would you... Oh my god. <laughs> would you I want to know... scream? Well, he I ran guess. and screamed. I don't yes, blame I him. I would. I would but, scream and okay. cry. And All right. yes. But I, I have one question though. Okay, so the snake is is really big, right? So Apparently. it's really big, and they're and they're muscular, right? So they got to okay. they got some weight to them. So sure. when you pick up the cornflake box, so you and think, it damn, like there's a lot ton. of cornflakes yeah. in there. Damn, there's some heavy flakes in here. Oh, I'm What's good because I'm hungry. Got to get my flake on. <laughs> The hell are these flakes made out of? Those are lead cornflakes. Mm, I, I mean, come on. Flakes. As soon as you picked up the box, you'd be like, well, why does this feel so heavy? I'd be like, I don't know. And I'd be setting it down on the table and kind of being really cautious. Uh, I don't know. I just, it's like having a bowling ball in your cornflakes. How would you not notice that? You know? So I don't know. I have no idea. That's... I don't know. So there you go, folks. <laughs> Next time you have cereal, make sure you check your box before you start pouring it out. <laughs> Because <laughs> you never know what could be well, the within. 
Yet another reason why I don't eat cereal. <laughs> Is that the reason? Because you don't want a python in your box? Yeah, on, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. you know. We have people walking around in this house who claim they have a python in their pants, so why not? <laughs> Yeah, but that's a whole nother show, Karen. That's a whole <laughs> that is. Show. That's a whole nother network. I tell you. So yeah, that's uh I so that's it for the news this week. I just found some really oddities and I just, I couldn't help pass up the man, the cornflakes and the snake. No, I mean, come, no, no. Come on. You had to. You had to cornflake it. Okay, so let's do this. Let's uh yes. we're a minute or two early, but you know, we'll probably have nothing else exciting to talk about. So let's go to our break. Hopefully Cheryl's ready for our break uh, because we're two minutes. Or, oh, she's nodding. She's ready for our break. Oh, so we'll, she's always ready. I know. So we'll go to break. And when we come back, we'll be talking to Bruce Orr. And that's going to be really cool. So stick around. You're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with Karen Frazier and Chucky G. We'll be right back. Mm-hmm. Hey, everyone, it's me, Chucky G, and I'm here with Karen Frazier. We'd like to invite you to join us on Hazy Radio every Thursday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Pacific, 10 to midnight Eastern for Paranormal Underground Radio. In the dark with Karen Frazier and Chucky G. We'll be exploring the paranormal and featuring the latest in spiritual and metaphysical topics, as well as interviewing intriguing guests. So please join us every Thursday night at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern for two hours of exciting paranormal radio on hazyradio.com. Hey everyone, it's Karen Frazier from Paranormal Underground Radio. I'm here to tell you about my latest book, Pioneer Spirits, Investigating the Haunted Lewis County Historical Museum. In the book, I got together with Patty Valdez, South Sound Paranormal Research. SSPR has actually interacted with the ghosts at the Lewis County Historical Museum for more than seven years, and the experiences that I've had there as a volunteer and paranormal investigator have been significant. So I'm excited to share the story of the ghosts there with you. I hope you'll pick up a copy of Pioneer Spirits so that you too can know what it's like to encounter one of Washington State's most active haunts. This book is available on Amazon.com or you can visit my website at AuthorKarenFraser.com. Do you want to keep up with what's going on at Paranormal Underground? Then tweet us on Twitter at ParanormalUG. Or follow us on Facebook at Paranormal Underground. Meet us on MySpace, Paranormal Underground. There's no need to be in the dark about what's going on at Paranormal Underground. Join us on your favorite social networking site today. Hey everybody, this is Rick Hale, host of Common Sense Paranormal. Listen to me on hazyradio.com, Thursday nights, 8 to 9 p.m. Central. Where do you want to go to lunch? I'm having a stroke. Did you hear what I said? I'm having a stroke. Why aren't you answering me? I'm having a stroke. When someone is having a stroke, they may not be able to say it with words, but their body language will tell you loud and clear. Look for FAST. F. Face drooping. A. Arm weakness. S. Speech difficulty. T. Time to call 911 immediately. Know the sudden signs. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Council. 
Fantasy Radio listeners? Do you like animated movies and TV shows? Do you ever wonder just what goes into making the magic that appears on your screen? Join Doug Engler and Brandon Ahrens every Sunday night for Animazing Radio. Animazing will feature everything in the animation arena, from voice actors and actresses to illustrators, producers, and more. Only on Animazing Radio will you find the very best in animation from around the world. Catch Animazing Radio every Sunday night at 8 p.m. Eastern, only on the Hazy Radio Network. Life in the Universe with Madeline Rudy. Discussing paranormal happenings in everyday life with psychics, healers, and intuitives from all over the world. Call in to receive healing energy and balancing. Learn how to create the most fulfilling life possible from healers, intuitives, and life coaches to help you move along your path in life. That's Life in the Universe every Tuesday and Thursday at 12 p.m. Eastern. Only on the Hazy Radio Network.
Hello, this is Patty Valdez with South Sound Paranormal Research, and you're listening to Chucky G and Karen Frazier on Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark on the Hazy Radio Network. The views expressed and the opinions given by the individual hosts and their guests do not necessarily reflect those of Hazy Radio Network, its affiliates, or sponsors. All shows are independently owned and broadcast for entertainment purposes only. We are back. This is Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with your host, Karen Frazier, and me, Chucky G, right here on the Hazy Radio Network. Oh, and by the way, that song is Bounty on His Head by the Cardboard Crowns. And also, I'm not really sure if this dude is in the chat, but I promised Jess I would do this. So I want to give a shout out to Clayton. I don't know if Clayton's out there, but Clayton, if you're not out there, shame on you because you're supposed to be in the chat room. I'm giving you a shout out <laughs> if you're not there. So I just wow. want to say that. I just Listener want to say that shaming. shame, shame on the listener. Okay, more so listener anyway, shaming that's that that's not that's not good for getting more listeners. No, just and if you, say, and, uh, well, I'm sorry, but you know, I feel I feel the need to make sure our, our listeners are cooperating with us. That's all, in, all in right. a nice cooperative way. I'm being I'm being kind. Okay, so anyways, oh, and Jessica's laughing. She thinks it's funny, so that's okay. It's her friend. Um, so now we're on to our guest, uh, Mr. Bruce Orr. Bruce, are you there? Yes. Glad to be with you guys tonight. <laughs> yes, thank you so much for coming on. We're going to try and I'm going to try and keep Chuck from shaming you too. If he's shaming our listeners, you just don't know what he's going to do with our guests. Yes. Usually so. with myself, I do a good job of shaming shaming myself, so I don't think <laughs> I have too much to worry about. So All right. it's going to be a competition to see who does it first. Well, All thanks, right. Bruce. Perfect. Yeah. I'm kind of the loose cannon on the show, so I'm sorry, but I'll apologize in advance. But anyways, um, I, I, I found this interesting. I, before we get into any of the stuff that I've read about you, can you just give the listeners a, a general idea of who you are and how you've come to be a paranormal? Uh, you're actually a retired criminal investigator. Uh, you're a right. paranormal investigator. You're an author. So can you kind of tell me how this all transpired from starting out as a police officer and working your way forward. Actually, starting, if you could start well, was, with birth up until today, that would be good. Yeah, if you could do that from the fetus area. To, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just yeah. Right. I was, I was always that creepy little kid in the playground that told all the ghost tales and got everybody <laughs> interested. And apparently, I did it well, so some of those people are still my friends today. So I always had an interest in the folklore and legends of South Carolina, which is where I'm from. Uh, got into law enforcement, became a criminal investigator uh, after I retired. Still had that interest in folklore and legends, uh, had a few interesting things in the law enforcement background, and decided to start researching a local legend about Lavinia Fisher, who was accused of being a, the first female serial killer executed in America. Mm-hmm. So that um, basically started doing the investigation. She also is uh, supposedly haunts the old city jail in Charleston. So doing a, the first book I got involved with was doing a true crime version of a ghost tale. So things went hand in hand. And after that, I created this company called Lost in Legend because I found that a lot of the facts get lost in the legend. So I'm a a preservationist of sorts. I'm a historian. I believe in the preservation of um, our, our artifacts and our fossils and everything else in South Carolina, especially in the low country. But I'm also a preservationist in the folk tales and legends. The Lost in Legend was basically founded. A friend of mine went, I went with him to Florida with a group of kids to help him certify them in diving. He's a diving instructor. I was a safety diver. Mm-hmm. And we sat around a campfire and we realized that none of these kids that grew up in the same area we did 
had any knowledge of the great ghost tales and legends that we grew up with. And we got to thinking about it, these kids, grandkids, uh, these kids were excited about seeing eagles out there, diving with manatees. These are creatures that these kids' grandchildren or great-grandchildren may never see. And we felt kind of, felt a little upset about the fact that these legends will probably disappear. So mm -hmm. decided to start writing them down. But when you start getting into these locations and you start doing these things and research on these legends, you tend to run across some interesting things that sometimes just can't be explained by normal means. Okay. So I think I brought us up to where we are now, I guess. So that's how I kind of got involved into always having a fascination and curiosity with the legends. Mm -hmm. Well, if, I find it interesting that you started off telling the ghost stories and then became a police officer uh, versus like I'm a police officer and now I'm seeing all sorts of things I can't explain. And then I start looking into it and going, well, you know, because to me, to me, uh, a police officer, you know, for the most part, looks at things very logically because I'm a logical thinker. So and I'm a paranormal investigator, which is kind of funny. But um, but you look at it logically and then I mean, how does your. I mean, how do you put the two together, I guess? You know, I mean, I know how I do, but, I mean, how do you when you're looking at, you're dealing with crimes and stuff, and then all of a sudden, I mean, like, for instance, maybe let's put it this way. When you were a police officer, did you ever see things that you just couldn't explain that maybe fit into that uh, thing called paranormal? We did. We uh, There's a few instances that something like that occurred. I always had an interest in it ever since I was a, a child, always in the stories and the legends and ghost tales. I think becoming a law enforcement officer and an investigator gave me the tools, the mindset, the tools to go back and look at these legends that I grew up with hearing and see if there was something to them, go back out to the locations. Maybe, you know, it gets to the point where if a place has been haunted and people are seeing things for a hundred years or more out at a location, then, quite possibly there's something going on that's been going on for a hundred years. You know, let's go out there and take a look and let's put some logical thought process behind things and uh, get involved with it. But mm -hmm. I think uh, that's a roundabout answer to that question. But also there were a couple of occasions in law enforcement where you just stand there scratching your head and did I really see what I think I saw? Okay. Sure. Because yeah. I mean, I've seen like, I, I, I know there's a book out there too, uh, doing dealing with, police and the paranormal and i mean for all the stuff you guys have to deal with all the time or had to deal with all the time i mean there had to be some things where you're just going ah, that just does not fit anything that i know you know what i mean so i i i just was curious of how that came about so uh I, there's a list of things you know like you working with the uss yorktown um all sorts of different things one that stood out to me on your list of Stuff to talk to you about, and I use air quotes. And we we appreciate me. we appreciate the yes. list. Yes, I like the list because if you didn't give me the list, I'd just go out and make my own. And trust me, I, I you would. We'd be here for days. <laughs> <laughs> but the strangest photo lineup ever is the one that interested me <laughs> that the was most. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it says in investigating a story behind a haunted home in Somerville, South Carolina, I developed a possible subject and created a photo lineup of Civil War soldiers, and the witness picked out the soldiers. Get out out of here really that was probably the one of the most bizarre things i think i've <laughs> ever experienced in my life um and it was one of those you have you ever and you you being in the paranormal investigative field have you ever said i i'm just going to try this to say i tried it and then it actually yeah. works and it just yes. it, it just blows your mind <laughs> out that's yeah. what yeah. happened with this situation 
Um, the story goes that there was a house in Somerville, South Carolina, and it was part of the Haunted Somerville Book Project. But uh, the house was allegedly haunted by a soldier, a trained soldier in a blue uniform. Well, he was often, people would wake up, the ladies in the house would wake up and find him kneeling at the foot of the bed or holding their hand and praying. And he's wearing a blue uniform. Well, that doesn't fit exactly in the state of South Carolina where the Civil War started and everybody wore gray. So Mm -hmm. finding a blue uniform soldier there in the middle of the South was pretty interesting. Well, this is one of those situations where history starts making sense with the haunting. Started looking at the location where the house was built. The house was built on a, a um, a Confederate military hospital called Red Hill. Well, that puts our Confederate soldiers there, but during the rebuilding of the South after the war, there was a Union regiment that moved into that location. The uh, regiment was an all-black regiment called the 1st Newburn out of North Carolina. They ended up there, but they had a Colonel Beecher, which was their commandant, their leader. Colonel Beecher was a Union soldier. He was staunch abolitionist. He was a Harriet Beecher Stowe's brother, and he ended up being a priest. So here you have your uniformed uh, Union soldier who is a priest standing there. You get a suspect. So out of just to say I did it, see if it worked, just try it, put together a photo lineup um, consisting of this individual and five others like you would do in a criminal investigation. And believe it or not, the individual picked him out. And I just, I wasn't expecting it to happen, but my mouth just dropped open. And that's still, even to this point, several years later, the hair stands up on the back of my neck, thinking about that one. (laughs) I think that was actually really great. uh, I I was thinking, is she really going to pick him out? And she looked right (laughs) at him, put her finger on it. That's him. Oh, I love when stuff like that happens. Yeah, especially when you're... you want to hold on to that skepticism, and it's good to be skeptical. Yeah. But when something like that just kicks you right in the teeth, there's not a whole lot to say about it. I mean, it, it yep. is what it is. Yep. I and, and those moments, because I, I started out in this as just a huge skeptic, and I still maintain a healthy skepticism. I think you on a case-by-case basis, you always have to. Um, you know, you can't right. just blanket say everything is a ghost, or you can't just blanket say everything isn't a ghost. Um, but when those, when you have those moments that do that, they raise the hair on the back of your arms. They're just the best, aren't they? Yeah, that's the best, and that's what that's the little stick that prods you on, keeps you going yeah. to the next one. You're absolutely and, uh, right. It's like, and that's what it's about. Uh, there's yep. a lot of people out there, as you mentioned, I uh, refer to them as orb chasers and everything that goes in the first <laughs> camp. Yeah. And uh, we've got quite a few of those in the field. Sure. Um, but... But there is those occasions where you've exhausted every possible normal fact and it becomes something above normal or paranormal. Yeah. And that was yeah. one of those situations. Yep. Absolutely. So uh, I also enjoyed your list of questions and, and the bio and stuff that you sent us. And one of the things that stood out to me, and it's I don't even necessarily know that it's paranormal, but it just fascinated me and I knew I had to ask you about it, was that you were diving off of a boat that like killed people or something and you had some kind of an accident. Can you can you tell us about that? There, uh, Well, it, it, there's a little paranormal story behind this ship. And uh, back uh, a few years ago, 
I was asked by a friend of mine who was named Lee Ehrlich, and Lee Ehrlich is the head of paranormal divers out of Cape Coral, Florida. Believe it or not, they do paranormal paranormal investigations underwater. Okay, that's ridiculously cool. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Yeah, these yeah. guys, these guys and girls are awesome. Lee's uh, an interesting individual, to say the least. I was invited on a a, a pilot project. They were shooting a a pilot episode for potential series, but we were diving on the ship known as the USS Spiegel Grove in Key Largo, Florida. Now, an interesting story behind the the, uh, Spiegel Grove is it's a popular dive site. It's an interesting dive site. It's been there since 2002, but um, in the paranormal community, a lot of people seem to think that the ship has a mind of its own. Uh, When they basically sank it as a reef in 2002, it sank prematurely and flipped upside down which made it a hazard. Uh, they spent some more money in 2002 and turned it on a starboard side, and they left it there at that point. Well, eventually some people went back and found the ship was in the correct position. It had righted itself. They attributed that to Hurricane Hugo in 2005. But the ship was upright, which was something they were not expecting. Since then, it's had a tendency to be a, a location for dive accidents and dive-related deaths, and in fact, up to 2013, it's killed seven people, and uh, three of them in one particular situation. So part of the the situation with the the thing that we were filming is we were going to go down there and investigate the ship. Now, I get to about 80 feet down off the dive line onto the top deck of the ship, and as soon as I touch the ship and make contact with it, I start having difficulty breathing hyperventilating, I can't feel my fingers to write anything to the other diver, I have calm gear, and I can't catch my breath enough to speak. Start sucking down there, start having chest pains, um, get back over to the line with the uh, the um, rescue diver that we have there in the water, safety diver, and show him that I'm in distress, and we make a controlled emergency ascent from 80 feet up to the surface, 30 seconds onto the surface, I'm unconscious. They end up pulling me in the boat, take me to the hospital. I spend three days in there, and they can't tell me why it happened. Uh, three of the divers that died in these situations had similar events. They went to the surface. As soon as they hit the surface, they were unconscious, and they never came out of it. I was just very, very fortunate. Wow. Had a good dive team, had good people. Still can't explain it. Uh, almost a year to the date later, a well-trained diver was in the ship. He died. So whether it's just a dive-related incident, whether it's paranormal, there's a lot of people believe that that ship seems to have a mind of its own. Strange situations, um, that was one of them. We went down there to investigate a situation with the ship from the paranormal claims and ended up getting exactly what we looked for. So there was like no... Fortunately, fortunately, I didn't, you know, expire and become one of the playmates now. Yeah, thank goodness for that, huh? And you, it says you specialize in zero visibility blackwater diving. Now, to me, that sounds like kind of dangerous diving. Mm-hmm. It's, it's interesting. I, I, it's My golf is what I tell people, and they say it's, there's a little bit of insanity there, but <laughs> when you're down to zero visibility on the bottom of a river somewhere, there is nobody going to come down there with a cell phone. Your cell phone's not going to ring. Your kids aren't going to run up, daddy, daddy. There's nothing, <laughs> nobody's going to bother you down there. 
And that's where all the good stuff mm. is. I volunteer as a diver, a research diver for the state of South Carolina on a lot of archaeological projects, maritime archaeological projects, and that's where the stuff is because that's where people don't want to go. Mm-hmm. So, so it's like, it's like it blind diving. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like blind, blind diving, or I mean, how do you, if you, how do you get, like, how do you navigate? You know what I mean? How do you see? Is that what you were trying yeah. to ask? Well, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't want, I didn't want to say that stupid thing. <laughs> no, I meant you know you how do you navigate, navigate a, a little bit at a time. You have you work out certain ways to navigate. You can see and you with a, a light. You do have multiple mm-hmm. lights that you can use. Okay. Uh, the interesting thing is, it's almost, I, I equate this to the paranormal field, too. And I have a theory, and Karen, you might again chime in on this with your, your thoughts on this process, but uh, I believe that if somebody has experienced a near-death experience, they have went through something of that nature, it's almost like you're a beacon and, and certain things know that you've got one foot on one side, one foot on the other. <laughs> And it seems like you're highlighted and you're you're able to be seen. Yes. The same I, thing with the right. diving. <laughs> and the same thing with the diving. When you're down there, you flip on that flashlight. You know they're there. They know you're there. And it's whether or not somebody's going to reach out and touch you, which has happened a couple of times. A couple of years ago, I uh, thought it was one of my dive buddies that was bumping into me and the videos on the Lost and Legend Facebook page. Ended up... Uh, when I finally reached out to touch him, it ended up in the video you see about four foot of the alligator's tail lifting up off the bottom that was beside me. So, oh. you know, you do have some interesting encounters. That was uh, that was uh, yeah. shot of Jack Daniels in the new pair of underwear when we got back. To the boat. <laughs> but, you know, um, yeah, I think you can say that on the radio safely. But yeah, yeah. you can. You can. Sure. Yeah, you were, we're good. You, you're hey, we fine. Got a, there's a question in chat but, from. Uh, Oh, it gives you a good analogy to relate to the paranormal field when you're down there in that zero visibility. Yeah. You know yeah. something's there. They know something's there. If they want to come over and get socialized, they can. If they don't, they won't. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing when you get out there in the paranormal field, especially if you've got that beacon on your back, so to speak. Yeah. And uh, they know you're there. If they want to come over, then they're going to make their presence known. If they don't, then they're going <laughs> to do their own thing. Yeah, I call myself a ghost magnet because I'm the one that always, you know, sort of like gets messed with when we go places because ghosts, ghosts, children and animals love me. So there's a there's a question in chat from this guy, Bob. He he wanted to know if since all military ships have at least one death on them, why do why do you or why do you, I guess, think some ships are haunted and others are not? Or why do people think some are not haunted and not? There some ships are, some ships aren't. Some buildings are, some buildings are. Uh, while I was doing the Somerville book, somebody told me, you need to go over to this old library there. And it was from the 1800s and talk to these people. That building's got to be haunted. Mm-hmm. Went to that building and uh, talked to the people. No, it's not haunted, but you need to go over to this library over here in Somerville, the new library. The new library? Yeah, it's haunted. Well, come to find out, it was built over, you know, some some Confederate military post, and apparently that building haunted the newer one and not the older one. So there's no rhyme or reason why um, something could be haunted, something might not be haunted. Right. Whether it be ships or buildings or 
you know, just when you think something looks really creepy and this is we do ghost house and <laughs> you go over there, there's nothing to it. And then you've got a brand new condo that's built somewhere and they're having experiences. We had a, a situation with a subdivision um, that was recently built here close to us. And a lot mm-hmm. of people were claiming they had on their chat room on their uh, subdivision website. A lot of people were having experiences in that area. So, um, and, and it was built on too. an old plantation grounds. It was built on old plantation grounds. So mm-hmm. who knows, you know, you, you could have a, again, I, I'm talking in circles, but you could have an old haunted building, an old building that you would think would be haunted. That's not, has nothing to it. And then old brand new subdivision having some issues or claiming to have issues. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know our house is, our house is like maybe 15, 20 years old. It's got stuff going on. So it's yeah, one I just want the creepy ones to be the ones, though, but they're not usually. Yeah, some of them are, though. So yeah, we, just, need to, we need to go to break. Um, Bruce, can you stick around for our next sure. segment? Because we have so many questions for you, and you have <laughs> so many cool projects that you're working on. So, uh, you guys, you're listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with Karen Frazier and Chucky G here on the Hazy Radio Network. We're taking a break, and we will be back in a few minutes with Bruce Orr. Stick around. Kristen from the Enlightened Circle. Join us Tuesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern, where we'll feature great guests, enlightening information, and spiritual healing. If you have questions about or for the universe, the Enlightened Circle is where you want to be. Tuesdays at 10, only on the Hazy Radio Network. Babies, you got to just roll with that flow. Yeah, right into that great daylight as the sun rises right there in your heart. Starting at 7 a.m. Eastern Time and running right into high noon. You've got the Coyote Medicine Show in the mornings with your host, Grandpa Peter Coyote, helping you take flight right into the heart, baby. That's right. You got to know, you got to get in the flow. The Coyote Medicine Show, only on the Hazy Radio Network. While cutting molding with a 12-inch dual compound miter saw, while holding a newborn baby in your arms, when face-to-face with a congregation of alligators, with the ball in your hands and the entire freaking season on the line. There are a million places you'd never consider texting. So why would you do it while driving? NASCAR driver Casey Kane here, asking you to please stop the text, and together we can stop the wrecks. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Get the message at stoptextstoprex.org.
Listening to Chucky e. G and Karen Frazier, a paranormal underground ground radio in the dark on the Hey Z Radio Network. The hostesses with the most ghostesses. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I know. I love that too. This is Paranormal <laughs> Underground Radio in the Dark. I'm your host, Chucky e. G, along with Karen Frazier. This is the Hey Z Radio Network. You were just listening to You Find by Corey Roberts. And we are back with our ever lovable guest, Mr. Bruce Orr. Hello, Bruce. Are you still with us or did you leave? <laughs> oh, thank God. Okay. He so, had to listen to us yammer on at the break. We're sorry, know. Bruce. He's like, oh, God, get me uh, off the show. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, so okay, so I got questions now. I got some questions <gasps> right here. I He's know. always got questions. Man always with the questions. questions. Uh, you know, well, I find the, because you were talking about the diving and, and that ship, and, and, you know, we we started talking about the, you know, going and diving like blank or blinded or whatever you call it um but but what i what i want to know was how do you do a like how do they do paranormal investigations underwater i mean how does that even transpire how do you can you Thank gather you. audio I was can, wondering you, that too. You know, can you gather audio uh visual i mean how do you go the about EVP doing that? Like this. <laughs> <laughs> no i was just curious i mean right. I, I find it really fascinating so i want to know how it is all done so if you could uh, tell us that that'd be really cool well lee ehrlich with the paranormal divers he creates his own equipment and there are certain things that they do certain equipment that they have that they can go into air pockets and locations and puts um, basically recorders or transmitters and record it back to the ship so mm-hmm. they've 
recorded some certain things. They've recorded EVPs under there. Of course, you get a lot of water interference and different things of that nature. Right. And they also, uh, again, depending on how you view what ghosts essentially are, they believe that they are energy, and energy is luminescent at times, and they believe that there are certain types of entities that you can see underwater that you can actually deal with underwater. So mm-hmm. I'm more of a person that, that has dove with them as an observer and as a support person, but these guys really have their equipment, have their stuff together, and uh, do these things with 130 feet or deeper in locations mm-hmm. that uh, I'm not real comfortable in being in. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of you know deep, when right? you uh, when you're on land and uh, you have something happening and you want to do the dude run situation or the scooby <laughs> do and, yeah. and beat feet and go. That's one thing, but when you do it at depth, you can only go so far until your lungs explode and you become one of the uh, residents down there at that point. Yeah, so oh, yeah, you, know, you have that. to face your fears when you're you're in those locations. And you know, I can't say enough about Lee Ehrlich and this team. Um, it's, it's and they will probably be more qualified to tell you about how they do things and mm-hmm. well, the equipment that they create. But they uh, they're yeah, able to record some different things there. Right? They've had some interesting EVPs, interesting videos. Yeah, Cheryl, or, we would like them as a guest. Yes, we need to get them on. Yes, so because I mean, we yeah, that would be a great show to have too. Okay, so can we talk about the Yorktown Paranormal Claims Study? Yeah. Sure. Okay, so tell us about it. Uh, A few years ago, back in 2012, I began a book project on the USS Yorktown. I was invited by Patriots Point and uh, History Press to do a book project as a follow-up to the Ghost Hunters episode, uh, Haunted by Heroes. Mm -hmm. So at the same time that that was going on, the book project, there was a group that was developing a tour there and worked out an agreement where I would help in some aspects on developing the tours for uh, an opportunity to be inside the ship. Um, being inside that location that's claimed to have been haunted since it's been there since 1975 was an interesting experience. So for 18 months, what we decided to do is to document. We had a certain, uh, it had to fit a certain criteria. And we basically in 18 months, we had 25 separate events that had to fit in certain categories and we categorized them. But one of the interesting things we found out is that the old-timers that worked on the ship would often say, oh, the ship's, you know, you're not going to have a good night tonight. The ship just doesn't feel right. Uh, she's gearing down. It's going to be a poor night. Or they would do the opposite and say, oh, she's fired up. You can feel it. And we found out that, interestingly enough, when they would say this, it kind of coincided with the moon phases, the full moon or lack of a moon. And as we started doing the study for 18 months, we found out a lot of the sightings correlated with different illuminations, uh, the waxing phases and the waning phases of the moon, which is nothing really new, but some of the results that we came up with were quite fascinating. So we found out that uh, about three to four days before a new moon to three to four days after a new moon, there would be no effect on the ship. The ship would be absolutely dead. Then it was started gradually building in intensity. And uh, you would get to, uh, let's say, about 7% lunar illumination. You started having noises and banging sounds. About 26, 
you started hearing voices and hatches and doors banging about 50%. You started hearing voices more clearly. Um, you started noticing about 51%, you started noticing myths and shadowy figures, and by 60 to 67%, the shadow figures became solid or opaque. 76% illumination it became active with all of the previous described phenomena and 90 to 100 percent was every full body apparition that size on the ship was in 90 to 100 percent moon illumination. We'd also have instances on the waxing side of it where the, the ship is charging or building up energy or the moon is charging and building up energy on the waxing side. People would start feeling like they were drained or sick. We, we'd have battery drainages. We had one instance on an investigation where the batteries drained and the tape recorder caught on fire. And in the waning phase where it's burning off or it's discharging, people start getting that creeped out feeling or that paranoid feeling and agitation. Mm-hmm. So it would have an effect on them as it seemed to charge up. As it was drawing power, it seemed to drain things. As it burned off power, people started getting agitated, getting a little excited. Um, it, and the illumination seemed to have a, a strange effect. Either it's one of two things that we came to the conclusion of at this point. It's either that the ship is charging up and it's a gigantic battery and it stores this energy and it burns it off. And it's actually powering the paranormal situations that happen on the ship. Mm-hmm. Or it goes back to the moon phases affecting uh, the human condition, and people are lunatics or lunacy, and they're having mass hallucinations at a uh, ninety to one hundred percent illumination. But it seemed to be the standard. And uh, what we're trying to do, we've I've talked about you know, the ghost people, the uh, orb chasers, as I call them, or everything's a rubber stamp of a ghost. Or you have investigators that spend a lot of quality time out there trying to prove a, a location that is claimed to be haunted for years is actually haunted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you really have no people that's uh, a whole lot of people. Let me rephrase that. You don't have a whole lot of people that's actively out there researching the why or the when. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think if you come to a, a conclusion, for instance, you say October during a full moon or fall during a full moon with little uh, precipitation at you know, 100% illumination is your best chance to locate something, then it gives you a target area to go back and investigate. And places like the USS Yorktown, which is a museum, or the uh, Lewis County Museum, for instance, you're in a location where you're able to put this to the test. There's a lot of people out there that are in these locations and may have never thought this, but when you start applying this and doing a study, and people that or really serious about investigation into this field, may be able to come up with a target time or a target location yeah. and prove something with this. Uh, a lot of people waste a lot of energy and a lot of uh, expensive equipment to go out there and chase dust particles. I've seen people pull out <laughs> thousands upon thousands of dollars of equipment and yeah. get excited when a mouse sneezes and dust flies through the air, and they're all chasing mm-hmm. orbs when they can be putting this stuff to greater use and trying to find something, create a pattern and reproduce this. You know, yeah. science is not going to science is not going to step out there unless you are able to recreate the situation. 
and you know, it gives them something to study. And if you're able to pinpoint when this may happen, science will perhaps get interested in some of the situations and be available when this occurs. It never occurred to me before to have lunar phase as part of our data. So I really thank you for talking about that because my mind, I mean, you know, we have a couple of locations. The museum is one of them, of course, that we have regular access to. And it just never even occurred to me to look at that. So thanks. That's really cool. One of the the things that got me, and I'll give credit where credit is due, there's a gentleman by the name of Danilek that wrote a book called The Case for Ghosts. Mm-hmm. And in it, he states, basically, the science changes constantly. There was a time where we believed that people could be cured by bleeding them. You would, If they were sick, yeah. you would cut them and bleed them, or you would right. attach leeches to them. Being a diver, leeches are little demons from the fist of hell. You don't want them on you. They're gross, um, yeah. But, yeah. But that's what, how they cured people. And then along comes science and says you're making people more sick. Well, what's making them sick then? It's these things we call germs. Well, show me your germs. I can't. They're invisible. We'll take your ghosts and leave. Then somebody invents a microscope, proves that germs exist, and now we just take that for granted, what people like Louis Pasteur and some of them said now, is taken for granted because science changed because somebody created an instrument that proved that germs existed. So who's to say 50, 60, 70 years from now, somebody takes one of these things like a pattern, develops a pattern, develops some sort of equipment, and proves that ghosts exist, and this conversation that we're having now is just completely irrelevant because right. science has changed again and proven that ghosts exist. Right. Well, I think that's fascinating because I thought I was the only one that with we I actually do that. I have an app. It's called uh, Ghost Weather Station. I know it's a silly name, mm-hmm. but it actually gives you <laughs> the phases of the moon, the angle of illumination. Uh, the number, it gives you everything and what phase the moon's in and stuff like It gives you all that. And I actually take that down when we go on investigations as part of data. Uh, when we, when we head off to some place to kind of know the situation for that, because I found that there's a lot of, con- there's a big connection between that and, uh, events that occur. And I, and I like the fact that you hear that people, uh, some people are statistically taking data and trying to find a pattern because that's exactly what we like to do is try to see if there's any kind of a pattern, time, weather, you know, all that and kind of put it all into one lump thing to see if maybe there's a way that you can target the activity no matter where you're going. So I find that really fascinating. Well, they refer to what we do as hunting. So what do guides (laughs) do? They go out there and they study the pattern of what they're hunting. And they know when they feed, when they do this, when they do that, where's the best places to go, et cetera, and so forth. When you have a target location like the ship or like a museum, you know where people have sighted things. You know where the stories are. So you know the spots to go to or the stands, as you would say, in hunting, where to go to. So when you start developing that, you know, this apparition, um, Shadow Sam, for instance, on the USS Yorktown might possibly show up at 90 to 100% illumination during a fall night with a little precipitation. Then you start targeting those times and start setting equipment up. And then you may actually capture what you're looking for. So it's the same thing. It's hunting is hunting, whether it's you're doing uh, deer as a outdoor sportsman, whether you're doing ghosts as a paranormal investigator or you're doing criminals. 
You know, on a manhunt, it's the same principle. You're out there trying to figure out the patterns where they're going to show up at next. I think that's cool. I just that's fascinating because you know, I'm thinking my little guy like, has this little app thing that I pop up and look at it and try to you know like am I just kooky or what? But um, evidently I'm not. Yeah, so it's th- the same, thanks. It's the same thing. It's, and this is why I, I love your show and love shows like this because what happens? You think you're the only person doing that. I'm standing mm-hmm. in the middle of the ship thinking I'm the biggest idiot that ever walked the face <laughs> of the ship here talking about this stuff, and now. We're together, we're discussing it. I'm sure the yeah. discussions will go on further, mm-hmm. even yeah. long after the show's done. But there's other people out there listening to you are saying, you know, I've been doing this for five, six years now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, when people start thinking and putting this together, then we start making progress and we start moving forward. Yeah, this is true. That's true. Because if we just keep doing the same thing over and over, just in that little vicious circle, you know, that I hate so much. That's I the mean, thing that's that gets I... me if a... If the old city jail in Charleston has had claims of paranormal activity mm-hmm. and people go in there continually trying to prove it, why are you trying to prove something that people have claimed to have happened for hundred and something years? <laughs> it's like, okay, Bruce, uh, I believe there's faces on Mount Rushmore. You need to come up here with all your equipment and see there's faces on it. Uh, yes, exactly. And I'm just going to oh, take for granted that I'm going to take for granted the faces are there and let's do something else. More yeah. significant. Yeah. Well, exactly. so so as we're talking about this, I started thinking about all of these teams that use equipment, and so they therefore then say we're doing science or we're taking a scientific approach. So they may be taking a technological approach, but right. what? So what would a team who's taking a scientific approach look like in in your book? Now, a science. Uh, you get into the pseudosciences and the technology, and it's good for techno babbling and gadgets and gizmos of plenty. If a person had heard a ghost talking in a location 130 years ago without having to record them on an EVP session, then chances are good you might be able to hear them too without that tape recorder as a crutch. But now that we have the equipment, though, it doesn't hurt to have that secondary. Science... I would say scientific approach, people need to use their minds. They need to use what we have at hand now. I'm not saying discard all the equipment because, you know, having been a former carpenter, if I needed to, I could drive a nail with a wrench. And it still serves the same purpose. It's not exactly what it was designed for, but you can do it. Right now, we there are no equipment, no equipment specifically designed to determine what a ghost is. We can't even agree what on the definition, what a ghost definition is at this point in time. But using the equipment, collecting the data, and having a outline, having a investigative process, having a pattern like we did where this doesn't work because there's so many variables here, that's what that noise could have been. Well, this is going to work over here because there's really nobody in this area for these footsteps to be in, so that fits in the category. You know, when you start debunking situations or you start discarding certain things and narrowing down the sightings, then you become more analytical. So I guess the best thing, and I've talked in the big circle, don't discard all your equipment, but don't use it as a crutch. Don't use it as a rubber stamp that everything's a ghost, and be analytical. Use your mind. Mm -hmm. And be skeptical of certain things, but 
when you start losing the ability to eliminate, uh, that noise could have been, you know, a raccoon running across the rafters, or that noise could have been uh, we're sitting in the house here and the heat's rising up from the fireplace and the cold snow's on top of the house and we're getting this popping sound. Be logical about it. But then when you start getting into the places where, you know, there's nobody else on this ship. Who was that guy that just walked across down there and disappeared? There's nobody else here but me, mm-hmm. you know, and four other people saw him with you. Then you run out of explanations and you can't find him. Then you start taking that as a more credible sighting. And then you start learning to target those locations and um, hopefully eventually create it, you know, gather enough data where you can recreate it in another uh, at another time. Or experience it when it happens at another time. Yeah, well, I think I it's think important I just to know. In a big circle, but no, that's okay. Uh, no, you made sense. It's like if you want to know the hows and the whys. You, you know, we it's it that's a, that's a very important statement when people are saying, "Oh yeah, this place is haunted," and you're going, "I'm going to go see if it's haunted." Um, all right, fifty million people just went there and it's haunted. Okay, so let's get past that part and let's get to the part of how is it happening? What is actually happening? Can we? substantially prove that it's happening um you know i think that's more interesting really than the actual happening itself everybody is focused on right everybody is focused on the who and the what and the where and we're given this Mm -hmm. the wins and the whys is what the people are not focusing on in the house so we've got half of it down we know you know this lavinia fisher haunts the old city jail down in charleston you know, we know who and where, and, but we don't know and what she is. She's a ghost that's allegedly seen in her wedding dress. So we know what she does there, but we don't know when, why, and how. So you've got half of the data collected already. The who, what, when, where, why, and hows. you just got to get the other three that you didn't get. Mm-hmm. And that's why people do not focus on or not are not trying to focus on. Everybody wants to get that holy grail of uh, proving that ghosts exist and they want to get them on film. Uh, I could have 70 ghosts twerking on film and people say it's staged. You know, yeah. but if you get it to where you, you kind of put that on the back burner and you start doing an investigation and you create a pattern and then you got people that are far more scientific than me have an interest in going into this location at a certain time and start collecting scientific data on a real science basis, then eventually the proof of ghosts may actually come to fruition Uh uh, because you're leaving out trying to figure out a pattern or or why this is occurring or how it's occurring or when it's occurring. Mm -hmm. Well, so you mentioned repeatability, which is, of course, very important in scientific study, is that, that not only do you have to get all that data, but it also has to be repeatable. And so here's the thing that has always um, kind of, I guess, maybe confounded me. So if, and I realize I'm making a huge leap here in this logic because it's not proven, but if ghosts are actually human spirits human beings tend to be rather unpredictable in our behavior. And I can tell you that there are some things I do that are repeatable. I get up every morning, I brush my teeth, I make breakfast. I, You know, there are things that I do that are repeatable, but I'll tell you what, there are a lot of things I do that 
I really kind of hope probably aren't repeatable. <laughs> so how do you, when you're dealing with this human spirit, if that's what it is, indeed is, then how can you ever plan for that consistency? What's different about a ghost as a human spirit than a living human spirit that would give it that repeatability and consistency? Or do you just look for them brushing well, let, their teeth? Let me, let me throw this out to you then. Um, have you ever, do you take usually the same route home almost every day and uh, do you... <laughs> Get in those zones where you just zone out and you don't know where you are and you come toward, you just go on autopilot or, you know, those situations where you do something the same way every single time. Well, yeah, I work, other in, times my, I work where in my in living t- room. So, yeah, I, my, my route to <laughs> my route to my office is pretty quick. <laughs> so uh, every individual, every person, and having done this from a law enforcement mm-hmm. perspective, looking for people, looking for criminals, everybody mm-hmm. has an intelligent persona, uh, some less than others, but they have the ability to communicate, to think for themselves, do certain things, whether it's right or wrong, they act. But they get into that repetitive cycle, like I just mentioned, they get into Mm -hmm. a routine of things. They do things the same way. They get in that procedure. Well, we have intelligent hauntings. They have intelligence, and we have residual hauntings. So they get in that repetitive decay. So who's saying that's the same thing as what human beings do? So when you get into a pattern of a residual haunting that shows up and has been showing up for 130 years and shows up and walks across this hallway in this house, then you start narrowing down to, I know this is a pattern, this does it every single time. Right. Um, and then I start finding that it does, it does it with little precipitation. It does it during the winter months. It does it during 90 to 100% illumination. Then you start targeting those days. You don't even have to be there. Set up cameras, equipment. And when mm-hmm. you start establishing a pattern, then you've proven, just like a person that's a creature of habit going into the same location, doing the same thing over and over right. and over again. This residual haunting, it's the same method. That's how you catch criminals. This is hopefully how you will catch what we call a ghost. Okay. Now, do you think that it, it being... Re- All right. Here's the thing about residual hauntings. So if it's in a pattern and it's doing whatever, do you think a residual haunting means that the spirit or entity is not intelligent? Like, you know, like I understand, like, so let's say it's residual because it doesn't react to us. Maybe it can't see us. Maybe it doesn't know we're there for whatever particular reason. Um, right. And we so can go into tons of theories on that. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? So it's like, how do you know that it's not intelligent still? Just because it's doing a repetitive pattern does not mean it's not intelligent. But see, I'm using, right, I'm using the terminology that most folks are familiar with, residual right. haunting. Yeah, no, that's cool. I was just, the two yeah. major categories, but mm-hmm. it, you, you can go in time ribbon effect and, you know, we could be overlapping and this, we're the ghost that they're seeing in their location and they're the ghosts that we're seeing, you know, you can get yes. in all sorts of tangents, you know, where mm-hmm. time overlaps or we have parallels. Um, you don't know if they're intelligent or not. All we know that there is a repeating phenomenon, a resistance. Sure. It keeps repeating over and over again. So it gives you something to look at. Mm-hmm. Um, if there's an intelligent one, then you go into a situation to where if it is intelligent, and it's needing power, when's the best time to, you know, look? When's the best mm-hmm. time that we might be able to catch this thing on film or catch this uh, entity on an EVP session or, or whatever? Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, just using the terminology, we there's a lot of unknowns. Yeah. And right. we don't know if residuals are just there or if it's the, uh, as we say, the location has somehow recorded the imagery and is playing it back like a tape recorder. Yeah. No, I was just curious at what your thought process was on it, you know, like what you personally thought, you know, versus, I mean, I understand the, you know, we all have things that we have terminology that's specific to something that's happening. But I was just kind of curious because, I mean, that's what I always think all the time. Well, having been an investigator, having been a law enforcement investigator, you know, you have a person who says, this guy, every single day at 4 o'clock, he goes to the gym here at this location. It's like clockwork. He sets a clock to it. You'll mm-hmm. be there at that gym at 4 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And you pull into the parking lot, you wait on the vehicle, and the vehicle comes in, the guy gets out, you lock him up. Mm-hmm. Because he's created that same pattern, and somebody's got familiar with the pattern. Basically, mm-hmm. as investigators and researchers, you have a certain sighting in a certain location, you start looking for the patterns, and you start looking for clues and trying to figure out when's the best time that you're going to actually be able to set up your equipment and be able to capture something. Mm-hmm. And then repeat it again. And repeat it again. And when you're able to say, yeah, this, you know, again, at a certain location, certain time under these conditions, we stand a good chance of doing that. Then you'll get science interested in it and maybe they'll be able to recreate something. Interesting. So, you know, so one of our t- guests, when our guest asked that first question, and I thought about it during the break, uh-huh. talking about haunted locations and right. why mm-hmm. locations are haunted. Um, Where's one of the number one places that people die? And you don't hear a lot of it being haunted, though. A lot of people die in automobile accidents. But how many haunted junkyards, how many haunted uh, auto places do you hear about? You don't hear a whole lot about those. And why is no, that, I wonder? Because they're the haunted you know, roads instead. <laughs> you have haunted roads and haunted locations, but, you know, there's several different theories on that. But you don't hear a lot about these vehicles that are being haunted where somebody sure. actually died. You don't, yeah, you're right. I don't hear anything of that. But you're talking about a location such as a vehicle with rubber tires and grounding. Does the uh, energy from a person die get sucked into the battery of the vehicle to get sucked into the electronic system because of the rubber grounding of the tires? I mean, you've got all these different theories you come in. Why do we not have haunted junkyards? Why do we not have haunted vehicles such as that? Is there a reason behind that? I Why like do we that have haunted houses? I like that. So, you know, you start asking yourself questions. Yeah. I, I maybe have heard of one in the last 10 years, and wow. uh, that was just a fluke situation. So people die by the hundreds in yeah. vehicles. Yeah, you're right. Hmm. So, well, I'm going to you know, start, start heading out to the junkyards, looking into that. So, I don't know. I mean, there's, if you're looking at it as energy, then where does the energy go? And the energy sticking around, then what's the best time to try to figure out when it's most charged and most active. Mm-hmm. I would hate to think, though, that if I died in on, an automobile accident, that I would be sucked into my car's battery, and that's where I spent eternity. That's kind of depressing. Uh, somebody would probably, you know, recycle the vehicle, and I would be used to light people's cigarettes for the next, you know, five or <laughs> six years in the lighter or something like that. That oh, would be, my, that would be my luck. Well, actually, actually, worse... I would probably be in the uh, seat warmer and warming people's rear ends for the next five years. That's where my energy would be used. That you know what, my, Bruce? My that is noble that. work. I don't, oh, don't rock that. That is honorable work. Do you see that? You get into the car and you sit down and you hear, Bruce. I'm like, what the heck was that? You know? 
butt warmer. I just thought I heard the seat say Bruce. That was how, really did we weird. Go, how did we go from ghosts to butt warmers? That was a big leap. Why did I tell you in the beginning there? I told you I'm good at you know, humiliating myself. So, you know, yeah, I, see, I, I beat you to it. So. That was hardly <laughs> humiliating at all. And now every term, time I turn on my butt warmer in my car, I will yeah. think of you, You'll Bruce. Think of there you go. That's right. Yes, I know. Yeah. Uh, so is your butt really warm? Uh, that's Bruce. <laughs> that's Bruce. That's awesome. So, so let's talk about Lost in Legend, the thing you created. I, I'm kind of curious about that. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that. So, uh, Lost in Legend. Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, Lost in Legend. After doing the Lavinia project, and I go back to Lavinia Fisher a lot. She was uh, her and her husband in the 1800s. They ran an inn called the Six Mile Inn, and they were accused of robbing and murdering her guests in Charleston, according to the legend. They were hanged in Charleston. Wow. And she was hanged in her wedding dress. And she told the crowd, according to the legend, that if they had a message to give to the devil, give it to her because she'd be seeing him shortly. And uh, basically, according to the legend, hanged herself. And she pops the old city jail. Well, I did a true crime version of the ghost tale, and we never had any interest of doing the ghost aspect of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, I had a friend of mine write the forward to the book telling the legend, and I did the fact of the case, wrote a true crime version based off a ghost tale. And the story comes out a lot different than legend. So I found out through that first experience that a lot of the facts of the story often get lost and overshadowed by legend, since the name Lost in Legend. And our mm-hmm. key phrase is never let the facts get lost in the legend. Mm-hmm. Well, at that point, I was a historian. I loved the history, um, became involved with diving for the state on the research projects and a lot of that. Began preservation of the folklore and legends, as we talked about earlier. And then uh, one night, I'm sitting at my house, and I get a phone call from a gentleman by the name of Joe Taglieri. And he is a producer with Ghost Adventures, and they wanted to use that book on the 2011 season finale. And then you find out, well, this paranormal field you're getting drugged into um, is not so bad. And you start realizing a lot of this um, as you're preserving these legends and you're going to these locations or you're going to these dive sites. There is a lot of superstitions. There are a lot of myths. There are a lot of legends. There's a lot of folklore associated with them. So it became a marriage, basically, between history and legend and folklore. So began doing Lost in Legend, doing the paranormal aspects of the things, the historical aspect of things, and it seems to have been a happy marriage for quite some time since we've been doing it. Interesting. Well, and I like that because, I, you know, it's so true. I, every It seems like, and I shouldn't say every, that's a broad brush, but so many stories that I hear about hauntings and famous haunted places, they're just, there's, little nuggets of the truth it's it's kind of almost like urban legends get tied in with the actual facts so right you you separate those then just through doing historical research we uh, we do we do a lot of historical research i recently got involved with a project that was uh it was a confederate soldier's diary and mm-hmm. the story behind it the legend is that a Sergeant Sturgis of the 177th Ohio on the battlefield at Town Creek obtained this 
Confederate soldier's diary from this dying Confederate soldier and promised to get it back to Charleston, South Carolina, and back to the family. The problem is the, the diary was damaged, and there was no name indicating who the soldier was. And it's been a 150-year-old mystery. And I got involved with the project, and as of last week, we found out who the author was. You did. We did this information. We did. 150 years later, found out who the author was. Now, the legend, though, kind of throws a curveball in it because um, we can't prove or disprove the legend. So there are some facts that kind of coincide with what Sergeant Sturgis said about how he obtained the diary, and there's a couple of things that don't. But the issue is that we found out who the author was. We were able to do that with information inside the book based off little tidbits from torn pages of what the uh, the soldier's duties were, what his position was, who he associated with. Um, we created a rank structure and went through and did basic law enforcement and uh, came up with some handwriting analysis with some other documents and matched them. So we came up with that, exactly who it was, and that was the history and the historic aspect of that. And that that's dealing amazing. with history and dealing with legends, then you get into the aspect of the, the bizarre situation where I went to a Civil War reenactment, the Battle of Broxton Bridge, and I carried that Civil War diary in my pocket and went up there watching these people reenact this battle and the cannons going and the shots firing and the diary, I swear, sitting in my pocket on my heart started vibrating. You could feel it. And whether or not you believe in things being powered or charged up, that was a strange experience. And then when you take it over to the reenactors who relatives actually served in the South Carolina 27th Volunteer Regiment, and they're holding in their hand, they're dressed in Confederate soldier uniforms, and they're holding in their hand a diary of a man who served with their ancestors. Mm-hmm. And these gentlemen are holding this. Everybody's talking about the power and the feeling that you're not alone there. You're not alone in this battlefield. And that it seemed to have recharged it and seemed to have motivated a lot of people to get involved in that project and uh, get behind it. And 150 years later, we found the author and we're going to get the diary is back in Charleston. We found where the author is buried in Newberry, South Carolina. And, uh, the diary will make a trip past his grave, and it will come back to Charleston. Hopefully, his ancestors will be there. And uh, the ancestors of uh, the uh, sergeant that recovered it, and it will be presented to a location in Charleston and remain here. Well, that gives me chills. That's it, it. It's amazing to me. I'm really fascinated listening to you and how you talk about how you take this police work background that you have and how many different things you're incorporating it into to – it's it's amazing. I mean, it's like it's it's sort of the fundamental process behind everything you do in a lot of ways, isn't it? It's a lot of fun and it's interesting. And you end up with you you just go forward and you do the job. It's like law enforcement. These people, God bless them. They they do a tremendous job. They go out there and they protect and serve. And they are given a certain skill sets and they go out there and they do it over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And once you retire, you have this certain set of skill sets you've been doing over and over and over again. It just doesn't lead you. So you have to find a way to focus it and put it to productive use. Yeah. And fortunately, I've been able to do that after I retired. 
And uh, it's led to a lot of different adventures, a lot of many interesting things. Um, I tell people, we joked about it, but uh, I keep bringing back Lavinia Fisher. All my research was uh, I donated it to the South Carolina Historical Society. Well, last year, the South Carolina Historical Society became a part of the Smithsonian Institute. So basically, I'm probably the only paranormal research investigator that has his research uh, archived in the Smithsonian Institute. So <laughs> you never know what's going to happen in bizarre twists. But, wow. but that's actually fact. So I, I think that's cool. <laughs> you, can, you can get your foot into the door, and if you do it systematically, um, you can be taken seriously with some of the stuff that you do. You A lot of people walk on here, and like we said, both me and you said the same thing there, that we're standing in a location thinking, am I the only idiot that sees a pattern with this and thinking this is happening? And we're talking about ghosts. Well, if yeah. people didn't talk about that with medications, if people didn't talk about that with uh, um, science, if people didn't talk about that with exploration, that the world's flat and somebody thought it might not be and went out, then we'd still be, you know, howling at the moon, you know, chasing chasing insects and eating them and living in caves or something. You know, we, we have to progress and we have to move forward. Yeah, and we have to do it in a logical manner. And yeah. uh, taking the skill set and think like rational human beings and not get excited every time we snap a picture and uh, there's 27 different orbs flying around in it and you're trying to claim they're a ghost. Yeah, well, I don't want to live in a cave, so, Bruce, I don't want to. I don't right, want to yeah, well. I kind of like yeah. my house, and my wife feeds me well, so I don't want to live in a cave and eat insects. <laughs> yeah, I've dove in a few caves. I don't want to live in <laughs> So um, we only have a few minutes left, but I, I did read that you don't actively pursue investigations. You're usually called upon or requested to come in on them. Is that still the same, or do you, or have you gotten that bug where you kind of want to do it a little bit yourself sometimes? Um. I, I like going with other people. Uh, I've done investigations in the past, and I've been involved with different groups um, in the past. And it got to the point everybody's trying to prove that the location's haunted and when everybody's been saying for years that it's haunted. So it, it kind of seemed futile. Mm-hmm. So I decided to get involved with other people, and I'd learn different techniques, and I'd be able to go on these locations and go to different places. And if it wasn't for that, I'd never been to places like uh, with Lee Ehrlich and Paranormal Divers or uh, the Spirit Hunters of the South, two wonderful ladies from Savannah, Georgia area, and doing the locations and working with spirit boxes that I never would have put two cents into, but had some amazing results with them with that that just completely blew my mind. Mm-hmm. So I get to work with so many different wonderful people all the way from, fortunately, I've been able to work with a husband and wife team wanting to investigate the Yorktown all the way up to dealing with shows like Ghost Hunters, Ghost Adventures, My Ghost Story. So I, I've run the gamut. I've had, you know, parano- uh, ghost pros out of Florida drive up with a van, a surveillance van, loaded down with tons of equipment, run tons of cameras all over the USS Yorktown, sit back in the van and watch the whole entire ship from a van. So mm-hmm. you're dealing with high-tech equipment and a lot of money going into this, and then you're dealing with, walking through a, a location with a 16-year-old girl and her dad with a flashlight looking for a ghost. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the bottom line is whether it's that 16-year-old girl 
where that person with that disposable income with $100,000 worth of equipment, if you can take them to a location and something happens that makes them question their reality, what actually may be out there, then you've done your job by letting that location do the job. The bud's been put in other people, and uh, they go on for it. I mean, doing what I do and getting involved with other people and learning different things and getting more people interested in it, you know, you have a hundred other people, or I may reach a hundred, two hundred people, getting them out there doing it. They can do a lot more research than just I can, sitting on a ship, you know, every other yeah. weekend or every other week. Yeah. Well, so this has been really fascinating, and we have come to the part of our show that we call Shameless Self Promotion Corner. This is where you can plug where people can find you if you're going to be at conferences, uh, I, the titles of your books. Anything you like, really. So um, go ahead. Start plugging away. Shameless plugging. You can find yeah. me on Facebook at Lost and Legend. Uh, that's where you can follow a lot of the projects, some of the past projects, new projects. Uh, see me get run over by an alligator on a video and certain <laughs> things like that. Um, Sweet. Uh, there is, uh, the books are through History Press currently. I have four books out. Um and six miles from Charleston was about Lavinia Fisher. We've got haunted Berkeley County. It's a location I grew up on in Somerville. It's another area out here in South Carolina and goes to the USS Yorktown, which we talked a little bit about tonight. Those are all available on History Press and I've got an Amazon page, an author page on there that you can find me on. And, uh, we're right now we're evaluating the um, Confederate Soldier's Diary for our possible book project, so that will be um, oh, cool. Be happening, hopefully. We'll see if we can get something out of that. And I'm also involved with Yorktown Ghost Tours on the USS Yorktown, and one of their lead guides there, and uh, the host of their paranormal investigation they've had on there since they've started that three years ago. So, Fan- fantastic. Stay tuned. There will okay. be more and more through Lost and Legend. All right. Well, you are a very fascinating guy, and mm-hmm. I would love to have you come on and talk again. Um, you know, especially Anytime. if you, you get a new book out, things like that. You let stay in touch with Cheryl. Let her know what's going on, and we would love to have you back. Sure. It's great talking That's to you. That's great. Enjoyed, enjoyed talking with you folks. All thanks right. You have a great evening, and thanks for staying up late to talk to us tonight. Uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, uh-huh. We had a great time. I had a great time out here, and uh hope to do it again soon with you folks. All right, Fabulous. thank you. Good night. Good night. Oh, wow. So um, that's like all sorts. He does all sorts of stuff. I know. It's like, I could just go, let's just talk about this and we'll just talk about I this. I know. We, just... we, like, we maybe got like, what, about a quarter of the things on his list, probably. <laughs> yeah, there yeah. Was... It gets to the point where, <laughs> and it's like, again, it got to the point where I never grew up. All these stories <laughs> that I loved as a kid, was always fascinated <laughs> with them. It's like, it's like, Tom Hanks and big. All of a yeah. sudden, I'm big now. I've got money. I've got a car. I can jump in this, and I can go look at these places now, and I can go poke around in these dusty yep. places or play in the water now. Good so, for you. Uh, good for you for doing it. And have a lot of fun doing it. Yeah, and hopefully, good. I'll keep doing it as long as I can. Yeah, good for you for doing it. So we have a little business we need to take care of, Cheryl. Yes. yes, we do. First, thanks to Bruce for coming on. I also want to thank Bruce for letting us publish um, an article he wrote about his research um, study on the USS Yorktown. Thank you so much. 
Really appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity, and hopefully there will be others here in the future. I hope so. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs) I enjoyed it. Uh, I enjoyed it. And I enjoyed the magazine a lot, too, and the radio show. So uh, I'm a big fan of both. Oh, well, thank you. That's awesome. Um, Thank you for doing it. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me on both accounts. Yeah. We'll yeah. definitely stay in touch, and um, hope, hopefully you can come back again soon. Sounds good. Okay. Hopefully, uh, if we come up with anything interesting, we'll let you know. Thanks, That's Bruce. Great. Hey, before right, we... Thanks. You guys have a good yeah. night. Have okay. a good night. You too. No, I was, I was, I was going to mention something to Cheryl. So, Cheryl, yeah. before we get to magazine business, I just want to mention really quickly that a good friend of the show in the magazine, Rob St. Helen, is very ill in the hospital. Um, it's his. He was on... Just like what a month ago, yeah, talking about his his brush with death, and unfortunately he's had the same incident happen again. Mm-hmm. Um, he's doing well. He's they, he's unconscious. They have him sedated. But I would like to ask anybody who's listening, of course, to just keep Rob in your thoughts because he's a good friend of the show. He's a friend of the magazine, and we love him. Yeah. So yes, I agree, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. So uh, now magazine business. Um, well, I and, just and show business. Yep, I just wanted to. There's um, no business. All right. No, I just wanted to mention that next week's guest um, we are going to have on, and this was a rescheduled guest because, of course, we had that ice storm last month that kind of killed our power. But he is coming on, thankfully rescheduled. His name oh, is Rob? Rob Henry. Yeah, and he is with West Virginia Paranormal as well as Living Paranormal Radio. And he will be on March 26th, and we are very much looking forward to that. Oh, so we have a we have a talk show host being talked to by talk show hosts. Yes, mm-hmm. you got it. Oh man, it'll Those be fun. T- it'll sure? be fun. We'll have a good time. I would think yeah. they'd be the toughest, you know, because he'd be like, I'd be like, so, uh, Rob, what's uh, going on? And he'd go, I don't know, Chuck. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? And next <laughs> thing you know, it turns around and I'm the guest. What the heck? <laughs> it's, a topsy, it's a topsy-turvy yeah. world we live in, Chuck. I know. I know. It'd be like, tell oh. me a life story. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to tell you anything. <laughs> anyway, and then the week after that, we have uh, Micah, right? Yes, we do. We have uh, me, Shayla. Rand, who is also known as Silver Moon Medicine. She is a symbiotic medicine woman. Woman. She's been on the show a couple times before, and she has so much knowledge on all sorts of different cool paranormal spiritual topics that you don't, yeah. you don't want to miss it. Crystals and energy oh, healing. Okay. And it threw me off with the symbiotic thing. I was like, what does that mean? She the bomb. That's she what bomb. it means. She bomb. <laughs> Is like, that what it means? Symbiotic. She the bomb. We got that, folks. She the bomb. Okay. I'm getting, I'm getting punchy. Getting punchy. That's okay. It's all, right. all right. All right. Next. Um, also, I had mentioned um, an article that Bruce wrote for the magazine um, just a yeah. few minutes ago. That, if our listeners want to check it out it's in the february 2015 issue and in the article he summarizes the results of his 18 month study aboard the uss yorktown um as far as he talks about it here as well as far as the paranormal phenomena and how uh, on the ship and how it relates to the different lunar cycles so see um, i think that's cool which is great I, I thought i was the only 
person is like, I have this little app, and it's I swear it's on my computer, and I click <laughs> on it when we're going to go out, and I go, oh, okay, and then they write that on my, you know, because I have like a, uh, I have, you know me, I'm OCD, so I have forms and everything, so I have a form about like, where you're going, what time you're going, what's the weather, all that, blah, 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 and then I put down all that stuff too, uh, you know, and then I kind of look at it and go, hmm, well, interesting that, you know, this happened yeah. when there was like this, and this happened when it was like this, so, because I'm, you know, I'm trying to do what he says, I'm trying to find a pattern to everything. Mm-hmm. A pattern to yeah. everything. Yeah, seriously. I think that's wise, um, definitely. And yes, Karen? What? I was going to yes. say, and I think that that's great and that there are people that do that very well, and I wish that I was one of those people. We have people <laughs> on our team who are like that, and I always have the intention to be like that, but then I turn out just kind of being, um, I'm more woo-woo, you know. Jim, Jim, says, Jim says I'm chaotic. Wait, I'm sorry. Is it a technical term? Woo woo. Woo woo. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. And Cheryl, you said you had something else, Cheryl, you want to say? Or, or, or no? Maybe. Uh, by the way, by the way. <laughs> I don't know anymore. Maybe. Maybe. Whoa. Hey, and that it's cover gone. is the bomb on the magazine, Isn't folks. It? You've got it. It is. That is an awesome cover. Yes, it is. It's. It, I actually found that photo in a stock on a stock image site, and um, I'm like, that is really awesome. Yeah. It was the best I saw it, and I was like, I don't know. I mean, I see in the Dark Investigations cover a long time ago that cool guy with his arms. That was pretty cool. (laughs) Yeah, that was pretty cool. That was, I have, do you know, I have never been on the cover of Paranormal Underground Magazine. (gasps) I know. You know what? Wait, wait, wait. We should, we should be on the cover as, as Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark. Don't you think? Why someone not? should do like an interview on yes. us. Yes. On the show. So, really, somebody should interview us. That's Seriously. Right. I'll get mm-hmm. right on that. We should be profiled <laughs> in the magazine because we are very interesting people. <laughs> Boy, that is just a derisive look. Oh, that was like Cheryl's like, yeah, whatever, you idiots. You ain't getting nothing on the cover. Thank I God. I thought that. that was a great idea. I'd be like, we could be smart. Maybe. You never hey. know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I okay, everybody who can't cool see shocking Karen I mean, right on, now, they're making funny faces on the webcam. Okay. <laughs> Wait, yeah. We're representing the magazine, but in a different form. Yeah. We're no, here sure. live doing yeah. what you do written. That's right. Or what we do written. That's I shouldn't right. say oh, you because we all write. So. Yeah. Um, do, in... we, do we all write? <laughs> <laughs> I know I do. I don't know. I don't write as much as Cheryl would like me to at this moment. I just have been sort of right. trying to catch up. You, I know. I'm. T- I. I gotcha. No problem. I'm just glad you wrote for this issue. Uh, the March issue will be online by this weekend. I promise. Um, with the Karen, cool cover. With a cool cover, Karen wrote a brilliant article. I did. Um, you did. It's brilliant. What was it about? It was about the, the nature of time. Oh, the nature of time, yeah. Really, really good. Chad asked, because when I, I, Chad edits um, the magazine after I edit it. He, he, yeah. I don't put bylines usually on it. I'm surprised he didn't know whose this was, but he asked me who wrote that particular one, and, and, I, and I told him it was you. He's like, oh, my God, tell Karen how good it was. But anyway, so, it thanks, was so Chad. good. Go yeah, and Go it's, it's about the nature of time, and um, it's, it's really, really intriguing. That's why I love your column, because... Um, it, it talks about a lot of things that maybe don't get talked about enough, which I think they should be talked about more. <laughs> well, I can bring up all sorts of topics that don't get talked about enough. Be careful. Be careful how much of a, a, be careful a wide, what we wish for. wide birth you give me. <laughs> Chuck also wrote an article. It was a review <gasps> really? on a was it, short was it brilliant? film. Talk? It was 
It was good. Yeah, it was good. <laughs> That's all I, I get. You get brilliant. <laughs> it was good, kind of. Yeah, it was alright. <laughs> wow, I'm done right. Yeah, 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 she gets done yeah, talking about Karen. What Karen wrote this brilliant. Chuck also wrote an article. <laughs> it was <laughs> brilliant. Oh, it was good. Chuck, it was. We, we it, only have a few minutes. We, we only have a few minutes. This. But it was. Oh, it, Chuck, come on now. You wrote yes. a very, very good article about a short yeah. documentary film that you um, would recommend to others. And it, Chuck, yeah. I ran it by the filmmaker himself, and he wanted me oh. to give you kudos on a job well done. He loved it, by the way. Awesome. Um, <laughs> that's pretty good, isn't it? Yes, uh, that's good. Kudos is good. I'll take what kudos. It, it, yeah. Now, it's called Surviving Death. What's the full name on that? Because I don't have it in front of oh, me. Oh, you're catching me off guard. I don't even have it in front of me either. I, I don't remember. I'm sorry. Well, BJ I, I Beretta. That's okay. No, no, no problem. BJ is it, is Beretta. Like a paranormal afterlife? Survi- um, I don't know. I'm just making yep, it up. I don't yep. Know. Surviving Death. Look up BJ Beretta Filmmaker. and um, It's, good. it's really it cool. Yeah. Check it out. Who's in it? Um, uh, Lloyd Arbach, right? Yep, Ooh. Richard Felix Richard from. Felix. Uh, uh, yep, uh, those are the two main ones, and then they have like other, uh, there's another like paranormal investigator, uh, another. I guess he's a medium. I think he was a medium in there, uh, and it was just interesting the way they went through all the different topics of all the different facets of the paranormal from television yeah. to a medium's view, a paranormal investigator's view, a parapsychologist's view. So it was really cool to see one thing and then kind of like break it down into different people's views of the same particular subject. It was really very it interesting. It sounds interesting. It sounds like what something I would like. Yeah. I hate to, I hate to bring this to a close guys, but we have to. Is there anything oh, else Cheryl before we That's it. Check out Paranormal Underground <laughs> Dent paranormalunderground.net I can talk and um, yeah let us, write us uh, an email and um, tell us what you want to hear on the radio show or see in the magazine we like to get feedback we yes. do we like feedback yes, yes so, I love feedback rather than good brilliant would be really thankful brilliant, no, brilliant? there's only room for one person to be brilliant, brilliant is a great goal to have Chuck yeah that's right you can aspire to be me <laughs> Okay, yeah, let's end the show All now. right. So with that being said, hey, come back next week. We had a great conversation tonight, and there go my dogs. Um, anyway, come back next week at 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern, other times in the flyover states. Thank you guys for listening to Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark with Karen Frazier and Chucky G here on the Hazy Radio Network. Good night. Good night. Night. If you'd like to be again on Paranormal Underground Radio in the Dark, Email us at editor at paranormalunderground.net. And until next week, remember this. If something looks out of place or doesn't feel quite right, it could just be something 